Thank you for joining us today. For more information about our service times, visit okoegt.com. Also, stay in touch with us on social media by liking us on Facebook and following us on Instagram at okoegt. Now let's prepare our hearts as we go into the message. Uh, This week, uh, we, my wife and I took our oldest daughter, Eva, uh, to, to Disney, Epcot, for the candlelight reading. Because she is a massive Full House fan, and any, any Full House fans in the room, right? And, and John Stamos was doing the candlelight reading. And so we took her, and we get there, and she goes, it's Uncle Jesse. And she was just, she loved it. But we might have caused a little problem, because this week, she goes, Daddy, I want to go to Disney on Christmas. And I said, well, baby, you know, we, we have other Christmas plans, but we'll go back uh, to Disney around Christmas time, you know. Uh, I, I, I remember growing up, and my mom and dad, uh, if we asked them to do something, their response, uh, if we couldn't do it right then, was, we'll do it one day. You know, uh, if, if we wanted to, to go to the movies and see a movie, well, baby, not, not this weekend, it's really busy, but one day we'll do it. We wanted to go to SeaWorld. Uh, well, one day we'll go, but, 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 but not right now. Um, anybody remember Wet n' Wild, right? We, we, we loved Wet n' Wild growing up. And, uh, and so in the summer, hey, can we go to, to Wet n' Wild? My mom would say, well, well, one day we will go. My brother uh, at this time was about four years old, and my brother had gotten sick and tired of the same response that one day... We are going to do all of these things. In fact, my mom, he asked to do something. My mom says, well, one day we'll do it. And he begins to cry. And mind you, he's four at this time, and he's crying. And she goes, baby, what's going on? And he responds, and he says, well, mom, you said one day we're going to go to SeaWorld. We're going to go to the movies. We're going to go do this. We're going to do that. And all of these things are going to happen on one day. And we're going to do all these things on one day, and then I'm just going to die after that one day. We're not going to have time to do anything else. And my mom had to explain to him, one day is a metaphor. One day actually doesn't mean a single day, but one day for Judah had become this thing that kind of got him through not being able to do everything till he realized, right, that... Uh, hold on, we're supposed to do that other thing on the same day? And we're going to do this thing on the same day. We all have things in our minds that help us get through seasons. For you, uh, it might be something simple. Uh, you might be going, Saturday's coming. I got an 8 a.m. tea time with the boys. I can make it through this Thursday meeting because Saturday's coming. Right? My, my wife looks forward to her standing nail appointment every Friday to get her nails done. It, it seems like a standing appointment, baby. All I see is just money flying out of my account, you know. <laughs> it's hunting season, right? And so for some of us, especially us guys, it's like, hey, in a month, I've got marked on my calendar. I'm going to go sit in a tree. I'm going to go hunting. And we anticipate these things because those things in our future help us get through the present. 
It's a way that we kind of we kind of cope. And today we're talking on this idea, hope prophesied. And I want us to see that more than just the temporal things we get excited about that get us through the week and get us through seasons, hope is what God uses to get us through the hard seasons of life. You see, what hope does is hope anchors us, not in the reality of the present, but in the reality yet to come. That for you, that vacation coming up might get you through a tough season. That, that, that fishing trip might help you get through the monotony of life. Why is it that, man, these things, these, these temporal things help us walk through seasons? It's because there's a sense of hope that outweighs the pain of the present situation. See, if I could... Uh, uh, maybe diagnose us and, and, and give us something that we need as a culture and as people of God is we need a sense of hope. Like we need hope. Yeah. I, I, I love this quote and I, I've shared this quote numerous times and I think it's applicable for us today and I share it often because it's an idea that I constantly return to and remind myself of. Bill Johnson says this, that any area of your life for which there is no hope is under the influence of a lie. Why is it? Because as Christians, We serve the God of hope, and our hope is what anchors us, not in the reality of the present suffering and the present circumstances and the present disappointment, but our hope anchors us in the reality of the hope that is still before us and yet to come. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, the best is yet to come. Now look at your neighbor, the one you thought of second, and tell him, say, the best is yet to come. I apologize, neighbor. I apologize. Listen, husbands, you better look at your wife first that, that time. You're sleeping on the couch tonight. But we serve the God of hope, and it's this hope that anchors us. Not in the reality of the present, but in the reality of yet to come. If you're taking notes, point number one is this hope prophesied. See, the heart of the Old Testament is a yearning and an expectation for a hope of restoration. In fact, this this hope is often referred to as the day of the Lord, that there's going to be one day where God is going to make all things right. And the hope of restoration was often articulated in the expectation and the anticipation of the Messiah. This word Messiah means anointed one. And Messiah in Greek, anointed one, is actually translated to us as Christ. In the Greek, it's Christus. The first prophecy of hope that we see in the Old Testament is found in Genesis chapter 3. 
that immediately after Adam and Eve kind of ruined everything and, and sin entered into the world, God promises to undo and to restore the effects of the wrongdoing from Adam and Eve through one of Eve's descendants. And in Genesis chapter 3, God speaks to the serpent and says to the serpent that one of the descendants of the woman would step on the head of the serpent. God makes a covenant with Abraham and promises that through him, through Abraham, one of his descendants, that the entire world would be blessed. God makes a promise to David that one of his descendants will rule and his kingdom will have no end. This is found in 2 Samuel chapter 7. The Lord says, For when you die and are buried with your ancestors, I will raise up one of your descendants, your, your own offspring, and make his kingdom strong. He's the one who will build a house, a temple for my name, and I will secure his royal throne forever. You see that God gives David a word that brings hope to his present circumstance, but also brings hope that when he is dead, God is not finished and not done with him. That, that though David would walk through times where, where things look bleak and David made wrong decisions and, and has to deal with the consequences of those things, God tells David that he's making a promise that will still be fulfilled beyond his life. And this promise that God makes to David is not just a promise that David holds on to, but it is a promise that, that the people of God, the people of Israel hold on to and, and say, listen, we might be in captivity now, but God made a promise to David that someone from his descendants will rule and reign. And we get this sense in the people of Israel, how there is a buildup and an anticipation for this Messiah, this anointed one, this king that's going to come and is going to reign on the throne of David. When David's descendants rule ends in 586 BC and what looks like David's genealogy is, is, is destroyed from ruling, God promises through the prophets to raise up a new ruler who will reign with righteousness and justice. This promise is seen in Isaiah chapter 11 where he says, out of the stump of David's family will grow a shoot. Yes, a brand new branch bearing fruit from the old root. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And by this time, the idea of a Messiah, of an anointed one, has become the anticipation of the people of Israel. That though they're in captivity, this is not the final word. 
that though they are, 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 are forced to leave their homeland and they're in slavery in Babylon and they're taken away from their families, that, that, that this is not the final say. What happened is they begin to anchor themselves to the Lord through the hope prophesied. See, the book of Isaiah is filled with prophecies about the coming of the Messiah in whom Israel will be restored and all of God's promises would find fulfillment. And unlike these other kings, unlike the other kings that ruled in injustice and ruled in, 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 with, with lying and ruled with unrighteous ways and means, there was a king who would descend from the genealogy of David who would be the Messiah and would reign in justice and righteousness. And from generation to generation, the Israelites lived in hopeful anticipation of this Messiah coming to free them and establish the kingdom of God. Because hope does something to us. Hope anchors us, not in the reality of a present situation, but in a reality yet to come. When the Israelites are in the wilderness, hope is what anchored them towards the promised land. When the people of God were facing the giants of the promised land, hope anchored them towards victory. When the Israelites were sent into exile, hope anchored them of a future return to the promised land. When injustice and unrighteousness pervaded the world, hope is what anchored them of a coming king that would reign in righteousness and usher in a time of peace. This season in the church calendar that we are in called Advent, Advent is about learning to wait on God. See, what God does is God uses the calendar of the church to work out in us the life of Christ. See, we, 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 we live in such an instantaneous culture, right? I mean, McDonald's, they take three minutes to get our order through the drive-thru. We're ready to talk to a manager. Right? Like we, 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 we want it quick. We want it fast. Well, I, if, if my phone's not loading, I, I, I go, I see if I'm on the Wi-Fi, I get off the Wi-Fi immediately because maybe my cell phone reception is going to be quicker. Or vice versa. It's going slow and I've got like 4GE up top. Well, I'm going to flip on the Wi-Fi so that I can get to the website quicker. And we live in a culture that wants things quick and wants things fast. And what God uses the church calendar to do, what God uses Advent to do, is to reorientate our lives to learn how to wait on God. And you might say, I feel like, like, like one of the Israelites taking the captivity in Babylon. What, what God was working through, through the waiting and through a future hope, patience in their life. And God desires to do the same in us. That this is the tension the Israelites live in in anticipation of the Messiah. That one day, the day of the Lord 
one day, there is coming a day where every wrong will be made right. Point number two is hope embodied. You see, the hope of Israel and the promises that culminated in this one day expectation of Israel, they find their embodiment and fulfillment in Jesus. That Jesus is the Messiah, the one they were looking for all those years. Paul, a Jew, a Pharisee, writes to the church at Rome and says this, yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. That God has not forgotten even the smallest promise made. When Abraham was born, when Moses was born, when the prophet Isaiah prophesied, God did not forget the promise of Genesis chapter 3 that there would be a seed, a descendant of the woman that would crush the head of the serpent. And what started in Adam and Eve so has been renewed and undone by Jesus. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 1.20, for all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. And through Christ, our amen, which means yes, ascends to God for his glory. You see, in the Old Testament, there are 364 individual messianic prophecies. And what is fascinating and what is amazing is that Jesus fulfills every single one. The Messiah is said to be born in Bethlehem. Jesus was. The Messiah is to be preceded by a messenger. John the Baptist did. The Messiah is to enter Jerusalem on a donkey. Jesus did. The Messiah is to be betrayed by a friend. Jesus was. The Messiah is to be sold for 30 pieces of silver. Jesus was. The Messiah, uh, the, the money for which the Messiah is sold is to be thrown to the potter in God's house, which G, with Judas did, who betrayed Jesus. The Messiah is to be born of a virgin, which Jesus was. The Messiah is to be hated without cause, which Jesus was. The Messiah is to be silent before his accused which Jesus was the Messiah is to be executed by crucifixion by his hands and feet Jesus was the Messiah is to be given vinegar to quench his thirst which Jesus was the Messiah is to be buried with the rich when dead Jesus was buried in a borrowed tomb of a rich man the Messiah is to be raised from the dead which Jesus was on the third day the Messiah is to be executed as a thief which Jesus was. That Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the hope that we have been waiting for. 
Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ we've been waiting on that has begun the new creation. That Adam and Eve in their sin yielded a creation of sin, but Jesus in his righteousness yields a new creation through faith in him. You see, Jesus is the embodiment of hope. Maybe you're going, I don't know how I'm going to get through this situation. I've come to tell you today, Jesus. What is going to anchor you beyond what you're facing? Jesus. How are you going to make it through that difficult season? Jesus. What does your future look like? Jesus. How's this marriage going to be restored? Jesus. How are my lost sons and daughters going to come home? The answer is Jesus. Can somebody testify today that Jesus has never forsaken you? He's never forgotten about you and that you have a hope in Jesus that will anchor you not in your present situation but in a future hope. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul is describing the one day. He's describing the day of the Lord when Christ returns and the dead in Christ rise first and this mortality will put on immortality. And he even says, I don't know what we will be like, but we will be like him. That Jesus is our past, present, and future hope. So where does this leave us today? What are we to do with this hope that we've now received? Point number three is this, prophesy hope. Will you say that? Say prophesy hope. One more time, prophesy. Mark chapter one opens and says this, This is the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. It began just as the prophet Isaiah had written, Look, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you. He will will prepare your way. He's a voice shouting in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. This messenger was John the Baptist. He was in the wilderness and preached that that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. All of Judea, including all the people of Jerusalem, went out to see and hear John. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. His clothes were woven with coarse camel hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist, for the food that he ate was locusts and wild honey. John announced, someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not even worthy to stoop down like a slave and untie the straps of his sandals. I baptize you with water. But he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And here, 
What Mark is doing is Mark is quoting the prophet Isaiah from Isaiah chapter 40, and he is showing that John the Baptist is the forerunner to the Messiah. What's amazing is this passage by Isaiah was written some 700 years before, before the birth of Jesus, and it became a passage of messianic hope for the Israelites. That, that how the Israelites were looking for the Messiah is they weren't just looking for the Messiah. They were looking for the messenger sent before the Messiah. That once they could identify the messenger, then they could open up their minds to go, the time is here. We finally reached the one day. We finally made it to the day of the Lord. And the idea of preparing the way was a theme throughout Jewish scriptures that resonated with the messianic hope. In Exodus 23, the Lord promises to send an angel before Moses and the Israelites to prepare the way into the promised land. The prophet Malachi in Malachi chapter 3 prophesies of a coming of the Lord that is to be prepared by a messenger. And we see that the messianic hope, the hope of the day of the Lord, the hope of the one day is directly tied to a preparing of his coming. That these messages, these prophecies were a way for the Israelites to attach themselves to the Lord through hope. And in this messianic hope there is a preparing of the way before the coming of the lord i want to submit to you today like john the baptist prepared the way of jesus's first advent the church is preparing the way of jesus's second advent that that, that it was the messenger it was John the Baptist that was the sign that Jesus was about to come, that the Messiah was here. And today, it is the messenger, the church, the forerunner, the church, that is a sign to the world of the soon coming of our King, of the soon coming of the one day, day of the Lord, where Jesus returns and he sets foot here on earth to establish his reign of justice and righteousness. You see, the, the Messiah did not come and leave forever, but Jesus came and ascended that he might return again someday. Church, there's coming a day when Christ is going to return. And just like God desired to work, then the people of God hope for Christ's first advent. God is using the advent season to build hope in us that our king is not so far away, but we live in hopeful anticipation that he's a soon coming king. That he'll reign for a thousand years in righteousness. That he's coming back to judge the living and the dead. You see, church, we must live in a way that testifies to the hope that is to come. 
Jesus. That we are standing now in the prophetic ministry that John the Baptist stepped into, that we are prophetic witnesses, that Jesus, our Messiah, is coming to make all things right. That we are modern day John the Baptists in the sense that we are preparing the way of the Lord. See, John the Baptist prophesied of the hope that one was coming who would baptize in the Spirit. And now, church, as people of the Spirit, who are baptized in the Spirit, we must prophesy of the coming hope that our King will return to make all things right. Isaiah prophesied of the hope to come. John prophesied of the hope to come. Jesus embodied that hope. And now we prophesy and testify of the hope that is before us. It is a hope that will anchor you through every season of your life. It is a hope that will anchor you when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death. It is a hope that will anchor you when the worst things are happening. And you see what Advent is about. Advent is about preparing the way of the Lord. May we be people that prepare the way of the Lord. May we be people of hope that prophesy hope into our marriages. May we be people of hope that, 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 that prepare the way of the Lord by prophesying hope in the monk's death. May we be people that prepare the way of the Lord as we prophesy hope against fear. Knowing Remembering that for the people of God, the best is not behind us, but the best is in front of us. Let us pray.